Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you do still reign. And Lord, you're still God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're still in the saving business. You're still in the healing business. And for those who stood while the scriptures were read, we pray, Father, that the Lord, you would have touched them sovereignly in thy will and glorify your son in these things. We believe this table, he bore our sin and he bore our sickness. And so we ask you, Father, that you would minister your grace upon each and every person and into every life and home. I bless thy word unto our hearts and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we pray and ask it. Amen. Will you turn with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. And we will begin reading from verse 29. The Lord Jesus is saying to his disciples that as they go forth, not to worry about those who are able to kill the body. That if you're saved, if you're Christ's, if you're his, he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but our fear should be of him who can kill both body and soul in hell. In other words, if a man or a woman isn't saved, they would need to be more worried about their eternal welfare than of the welfare of this life and the pleasures of this world. And the Christian who is more concerned, the believer who is more concerned with this world and, and what in these dark days that which we live in. You know, the early church uh, at the very beginning had the Romans and the Jews first and then the Romans obviously after that to, uh, to hunt them down and to uh, kill them. So the Lord was warning them. And then as time goes on, we had at the time of Reformation, those who were burned at the stake and martyred for their faith by the Roman Catholic Church. And then after that, there are those who are still being martyred today, whether it's by Islamic hordes or whoever else it may be. And now today, Christians are concerned about people not liking them. Yet people have given their lives for Christ because they love him more than they love what the world has to offer and they love him more than the fear that the world has to give and hence the Lord says why are you worried why are you worried about what the government are going to do we always hear nowadays, especially from Christians' lips, it's Antichrist, 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 Antichrist. And look, there's an Antichrist spirit in the world today, without a doubt, manipulating governments and so on. But I'm not looking for an Antichrist. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his coming again. And so the Lord is warning his disciples, and again, his living word is alive today and says to you and I, why are you worried? Why are you concerned? You're better fearing God than you are fearing man. So let's not be afraid, church, of what will come. Believe me, coming into the autumn, winter months here, we're going to see another uprise, another downturn of what big government will say and do. What are you going to do? Are you going to remain faithful unto the end? Are you going to be unafraid and unashamed? Are you going to be pressing on in the faith or giving up? What will you do? So easy for the, the, the church, the, the, the believer to even give up at the first sign of any sort of temptation to sin. And it's so easy for them to give up at the first sign of any trouble that may come in. Let's stand strong and let's keep the faith and let's believe the Lord. I would prefer rather to fear God in the reverence 
I know perfect love casts out fear. That's for judgment that we won't stand in it. But rather we still must have a reverential fear of the Lord. We must have a reverential fear of his word. And we must stand for Christ. The Lord Jesus says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. There was a a man called Dr. Vince, a theologian, and he was suffering with ill health, up and down, back and forward. And someone once said to him, for being the, the man of faith that he was reported to be, it says in their words were that they, he was somewhat pathetic. Somewhat pathetic. And how he was dealing not only with the illness, but with fear. Fear of what would happen. This is a believer. This is a man. And we all have fear. Don't worry. Don't get me wrong. And we all have pain. And it's we don't like to suffer pain. But this man was not really looking, as it were, how he should be to Christ. And we're told that it was it is actually written down and recorded that during his last illness before he passed away, early in the morning, he was sitting in a chair in his bedroom and looked out through the window and turning to his wife, he said, my dear, I'm afraid I cannot possibly recover from this illness. And when I am gone, what will become of you? What will you do? I know my people will be kind to you out of love to me. I understand that because yourself, brother, and you, sister, uh, you would be concerned about your spouse. You'd be concerned about your family. That's normal. That's natural. That's one of the first things that comes to our mind when we have an illness that we feel we're not going to recover from. But it said that he... Rather than trusting God and his faith that whether he live or whether he die, he would be with Christ, which is far better, that he became most miserable in things. So he says this to his wife, and a few moments later, he heard three or four loud taps on the window. And when they both looked up toward the window, there was a sparrow with a worm in its beak tapping the window with its beak. Immediately, there came to him the words of the master in Matthew 10 and 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? We're told this spoke to him, this cheered him up and he didn't seem to be as down and depressed and to him the little sparrow was a messenger of comfort sent from an almighty God. He couldn't doubt the message was from on high. And it gave him solace in his time of affliction. Just a, a, it was either the beginning of this year or the end of last year, I can't remember. I went down into Belfast and, you know, I'm like a homing pigeon, Alison says. I always veered towards the shore road every time. And even though I've nowhere to go on it, I always go down it and either drive down it. And if I'm on my own, sometimes I take a walk up it. And I was walking up, I was on my own, and I seen this woman at the, where the bottom of Fort William comes down. There's a little street here, and the shore runs straight along. There's a woman in a wheelchair with a few bags hanging off the handle at the back, and she was pushing where the, the ramp would be to across the road, pushing up and rolling back, and pushing up and rolling back. And she was really struggling to get in to the wheels to push them as hard as she could. And as I'm walking up, I seen her going, and people were walking past her. Some didn't stop. So I walked up there, and I says, can I help you? She says, could you give me a push, please? My arms are tired. I said, certainly. And I'm thinking she's crossing the road, and I take her. And she says, no, I'm not crossing that way. I'm going this way. So I thought she was going up the road and across this road that was beside us. So I just pushed her and walked her across the street. And she says, could you push me a little further? I ended up pushing her for a mile and a half. 
started talking to her. She told me that she would come down and she's in a fold where she can be looked after. She's really on her own. And she was so glad that I came along and I said, well, where's your fold? She says, back there where you pushed me from. (laughs) We get so far up the road and I start talking to her about the things of God and she didn't know the Lord. She says, strange because I was feeling really down and just before I met you, a woman came and told me that she believed Jesus came over or Jesus told her to come over to tell me that he loved me. But she went on. I says, well, maybe I could be a small messenger for you. And maybe you could see that God's seen you in your struggle. And hence I've come to push you up this road. And we got to a bus stop. She says, can you leave me here? I want to get the bus. I said, okay. And we pulled up to the bus stop. I says, where are you going? She says, back down to where you pushed me from. She got on the bus and I had to walk a mile and a half back again to where I came from. But she told me a story. She says, this morning I was really down, really low, and I needed to get out. And she says, a little sparrow, pardon me, a robin, came to my back window. And I thought, isn't that lovely? That really encouraged me. That's a little messenger. So I talked to her about the Lord. And I got down beside her at the bus stop like this. And I says, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He sent one person who maybe didn't do exactly what the Lord had asked. I says, did he send me? Well, I believe he has, but he hasn't told me that. But I'm pushed you up here because I believe you're to hear the gospel. I told her about the Lord and the bus was coming. And the bus just pulled right up and the Lord had down for her to get on the bus. And as she was getting on the bus, she turned to me and she says, I believe you're like that sparrow. You come to push me when I needed the push. I says, no, dear, I'm not like the sparrow. I says, I'm the messenger who's come to tell you that the Lord loves you. And she says, when I get on this bus, I'm going to talk to him. And off she went on the bus. How the little things in life that we think God maybe misses a woman in a wheelchair who's stuck on a ramp, who people have walked past, and one even comes proclaiming God sent them, whispers the message in her ear and leaves her there. Whoever that was, I don't know. And brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives when you think, well, what I have is little known to, to anybody, but and no one else might care. This morning I want you to know that he knows the sparrow. And he knows every care of your heart. He knows everything of your life. He knows every trouble you've been through. He knows every trial. He knows how you've grown up. Whether it be in a good home or a not so good or a terrible place. The Lord knows every single part of it. Let me tell you one more wee story. Some of you, most of you maybe know it, but let me just say this. Because some don't. Alice and I were missionaries in Romania and there's one main road coming through. Say main road, or you get two cars past it, and it was really rough and bumpy, and it was just rough tarmac. But all the roads off it were all mucky and dirty, and in the village where we lived at the time. And the road came up, and around this way, and we had a wee church just here, say, this, where this board would be. And we come around the road, and I'm... I'm out one time, I've been doing a lot of work around the villages, trying to get people out to hear the word. Um, I had the communist parties were still about. I had Jehovah's Witnesses after me. Uh, I had the, the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church all follow me around everywhere I went. I was, I, I was hit with an iron bar in the head one time. You know, All this sort of stuff was going on, and we still had to keep going. 
this was in the late 90s. And I'd done so much, and it was only maybe 10 to 15 minutes before the meeting, and I walked into the little church thinking some would be there. Surely somebody would be there. And I looked, and there wasn't another solitary soul. Not one. Not one other person. And I was deflated. We were about 15, 20 miles outside of the nearest city called Timishwara. And whenever I was there, Alison was inside uh, with the children in the home. There was about 20-something children in the home. And she was there. I'm trying to organize this. And it was just pressure, pressure. You know, I was threatened with arrest if I opened this church. I, I was receiving letters that I'd got printed in, into Romanian from English in the city. And by the time I got back, they were sitting in my desk on an envelope saying that I, if, a, a copy of the flyer that if I opened this with a letter, I'd be arrested right away and put into the prison. So we had all of these things to think about and to be concerned about. But we believed we were there because God had us there. So we opened up anyway. And there was no one there, and I, I was so dejected. It was a lovely sunny morning. I was so depressed with it. It was just getting to me. And all the stress and pressure. And this is the road that comes up around the corner. I'm standing just against the wall. And there's a house here. And there's a house there. Just basically where the end of the tent would be there. And I've seen this little dot. It's coming like this. Toward me. And a car comes around at this bend. And the little, it was a little sparrow. And it was diving down and lifting up. And it was diving down and it was lifting up. And the car comes around and it's just coming toward me. It just, that it said it was diving down, the car hit it. And the little sparrow fell dead and it fell right between my two feet. Just right between my feet. And all I could think of was, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? Does your father not know? Because I'm thinking, I'm in Romania. We have troubles within and troubles without. We, it was like a persecution on us at, at times. It was horrific at times. It was so hard. And even the the, the very people from border security and they were coming down and just walking in and raiding everything that we had saved for the children just taking it from us no saying it it was it was a, a hard time and there i'm thinking all this work lord and nobody is even there and the sparrow fell at my feet and all i could think was i know where you are i know where you are son i'm 15 miles and somewhere off the city of Timishwara, anybody back home doesn't even know where it is. Nobody knows where I am at this time and place. And the sparrow drops right at my feet. And the Lord was saying, I know where you are. I know your heart. I know the condition. I know where you are. And I walked up the side, I walked up the side of the building, way to the far end of the home. It was a lovely three-story home, specially purposefully built. And I walked around behind it. And I was in tears and I cried unto the Lord. So I got myself together and I walked back round and it was just like, I was actually coming down to lock up, close the doors and lock up and I'll try again next week. And when I got in, I walked through the back way and as I walked into the little sanctuary, the place was full. The place was packed with people. And from that week and every week, Souls were being saved. It was not one or two. Many, many souls were being saved. All by the Lord showing me a little sparrow will not fall to the ground and I don't know it. I know where you are. And brothers and sisters, if we can take that this morning, I know this is different. This is just how I've been led to, to, to do this. If we can see this morning that God knows where you are. God knows the condition of your heart. God knows your life. He knows what you've come through. He knows the hardships. And he says, if I, if I know a sparrow that falls to the ground, how much more do you think I know about you?
In fact, falling to the ground, it doesn't always mean dead to the ground. It can mean your father knows when a sparrow hops from one branch to a lower branch to the ground, still alive. And he knows our lives. He knows when you've hopped from a higher branch to a lower branch. He knows when you've hopped from the higher branch to the lower branch. And he says, you're worth more than that. You're worth more than maybe you've allowed your life to go and your walk with Christ to be. You're worth more than what you've allowed into your life. You're, you're worth more than what you've allowed happen to your life. You're worth more than where you've walked away from Christ. Even you've hopped from a higher branch to a lower branch. And the Lord says, you are worth more to me than all of this. F.E. Marsh, uh, Frederick Edward Marsh says, the parasites of fear Doubt, questioning, and unbelief cannot live in the warm sunshine of God's love and the fresh air of the Spirit's presence. Brothers and sisters, I want you to get this because when you've come in this morning, when we sang, did you worship? Did you actually worship? Do you know how to worship? And you might say, well, how do you know? How do you worship? You know, you can learn how to worship, but let me put it like this. If your heart is, is in gratitude, if your heart is in love with Christ, then your heart will just worship at the sound of his name. You, you don't have to really go, you don't go to school to learn to worship. You just Draw near to God and he'll draw nigh unto you. And your heart will naturally worship. If your mind is on the Sunday dinner, you're not worshiping. If your mind is on what happened last night or where you were last night or even if it was at another meeting last night, that's gone. That's into eternity. You might have went out last night into a a wonderful meeting and, and it was fantastic. But that's gone into eternity. That's gone. Worship is the here and the now. And worship isn't how we feel. Like I wasn't really into that this morning. It's about, I didn't really feel it. It's not about whether you're into it or how you feel. Worship is what you give. Worship is your heart surrendering itself anew, coming into line with and, and, and following hard after Christ. That's worship. Did you worship this morning? Listen to what Dr. F.E. Marsh says. The parasites of fear. Fear is a parasite. Fear is a parasite. And you know, and I don't like to keep harping on about it, but I see it more and more. It's manifesting. Glenn talked about the manifestation of God's love in his son around the table, but the, the manifesting of fear has been rife in, in, in our nation, in society, it's been fear, fear, fear. In fact, you know, Ritzy Sunak of the government now has come out and said that they promoted fear on purpose. But we knew that. We knew that. It's others thought we were mad because we, we knew that. And the church came into fear, a lot of it, and the people came into fear, and it's a parasite. Fear is a spirit. It's a, it's a spirit of the mind. And when you and I are not in faith, if we are in fear, then there's a parasite, a parasitical spirit that's controlling us. Are you in fear this morning? It's time to tell it to go. What about when things get tougher? The parasites of fear, doubt, parasite of doubt, questioning and unbelief cannot live in the warm sunshine of God's love and the fresh air of the Spirit's presence. In other words, when we are here to worship, 
when we gather together around the table, when we are one with each other and in the spirit of God, when we are here unified, when you come with your problems, you can bring them to the throne of grace, whether it's stand up as Glenn asked, while, if you need a, a special touch from God while we're reading the word. Do you know why? Because there you're showing faith. And the parasites of fear and doubt and all of the questioning that we have, it's time to get rid of the parasites. Sometimes you can find yourself in the company, and I don't mean this to sound cruel, but it's true of negative, fearful, doubtful, continually questioning people who are parasites. You know what they do? They suck the life out of you. They suck the life out of you. They take the joy from your heart. They drag you down and they hold you back. And it's all forms in your mind and in my mind. And this, listen, the mind is the, the battlefield where battles are fought and won. Or battles are fought and lost. Now, what's winning this morning in your mind? The parasite of fear? The parasite of doubt? The parasite of unbelief? Because you've spent most of your week with unsaved and work, and look, we have to work. But it, it, it infiltrates your mind. It poisons your spiritual system. And by the time you get through the week, it's sucked the life out of you. It's time to get rid of these parasites. How can these things happen and how can they overcome the Spirit of God? They can't. So in the place of worship and gathering together with people of like mind, attitudes change. Attitudes changed if they're aware of the Spirit of God in the midst. So please stop and think about this. Pause and think about who our God is and just how much he loves us. His presence is with us. His hand is upon us. His eye is watching over us. His protection surrounds us. His grace is there for us. Do you know that the Lord thinks about you? Even when you're not thinking about him. He thinks about you. See, you're worth more than many sparrows. And and our God is omniscient. We always talk about the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere, and he is. We always talk about the omnipotence of God, that that he's all-powerful, and he is. But he's also omniscient. And omniscience means that he's all-knowing. It gives the idea of having infinite awareness, infinite understanding, and an infinite insight. So God has an infinite awareness about your life, about your heart. He's an infinite understanding about everything that you're facing, everything that you're going through and you've been through. In other words, we're finite and we can only do so much and we can only think so much and understand so much, but he is infinite his knowledge is infinite his insight is infinite would you turn with me please to Psalm 139 Psalm 139 verse 1 If you're taking notes down, read this when you go home. From verse 1 to verse 6, you have the omniscience of God. And then from again, verse 6 to verse 10, you have the omnipresence of God. And from verse 10 to verse 13, you have the omnipotence of God. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed, compassed my path and my lying down. And thou art acquainted with all my 
ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Do you notice this? He's saying, you know everything about me. You know the word on my tongue before I even speak it, because it's, it's in the thoughts of my mind. And you know the thoughts of my mind and my heart before it's on my tongue. And he thinks about us. Notice verse 17 and 18 of the psalm, please. Notice, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. How precious to know that you think about me, Lord. How precious are also thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Notice that. If I should count them, Imagine trying to count God's thoughts about yourself. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. In other words, when I'm awake, when I wake, I'm still yours. Because when I sleep, I forget about you. But even when I'm awake or whether I sleep, you still think about me at all times. You're always thinking about me. How precious are your thoughts, if I was to count them, Lord, just about me, you can say it about you, but imagine God thinking about you and the amount of thoughts of the psalmist here for the psalmist. He's counting the psalmist's thoughts. He's counting Ken's thoughts. He's counting Billy's thoughts. And we could go on right down the line and across every person. And God is thinking about us and he counts our thoughts. And since he does, since he knows us inside and out, then we have to, Walk in faith, knowing, Lord, I don't feel like I'm in a good place. I don't feel like I'm going to be able to survive. I'm concerned about what this illness is going to be. I'm looking, as it were, I'm stirring into the valley of the shadow of death. And it will come to us all, but we will be able to say, Lord, but you're still thinking about me. And you won't leave me nor forsake me. You won't leave me. Neither will you forsake me. In Matthew 6 and verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. And the saying is, he meets our needs and not our greeds. And that's true in a, in a sense, but I can honestly say, I came to Christ with nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was registered homeless. There was blood coming out of me from my addictions. I was in trouble. I'd been in trouble twice with loyalist power militaries going to shoot me and once with Republicans. I came to him with nothing. When I can hear Peter saying, Lord, we have left all to follow thee. What, Peter? You've left all to follow him? He left glory to die for you. What, brother, sister? What if I to give all to follow? Not for salvation, but if the Lord tells you to do, go, or be whatever, then you must. told me, he said to me, give everything you have. This is when we'd gathered together. Alice and I had gathered together. We had our home sitting lovely. We, we were, it was in renovation for months. We got it all sitting ready and the Lord spoke to me over a little golf course. Not that I play golf. I've never played in my life. But I was walking over it praying every morning. It wasn't even really a golf course. It was in a park with a wee bumpy hills you know, and a few holes in it. But they call it the golf course. And I used to walk up because it's on the hill overlooking York Road and the Shore Road. And there's all the, oh, there was all the little houses right along, rows and rows of them that I used to party in. And I used to stand and I used to pray for everybody in all those houses. See these houses, Lord, I know what goes on in a lot of them. And one day the Lord says, well, you give everything you have away. Just got a nice wee car. Give it away. 
Lord, if I just got the house in order, give it away. What about the furniture, Lord? Give it away. But Lord, give it away. My last one was, but Lord, would you tell Allison before I go home? <laughs> so I'm praying for a while, and how am I going to say this to her? What am I going to do, Lord? And I'm up and down, I'm pacing like this, up and down this golf course. And they said, I walked down the road, and I walked into the house, and there was Allison in tears. I said, what's wrong? The Lord spoke to me, and the Lord told me we have to give all away. Go to the mission field. So we did. A couple of wee personal wedding presents that no one would want and more personal just to carry them with us. We give everything away. Everything. And I'm standing at this road on a sunny morning. Nobody's in the church and the sparrow comes and drops at my feet. And going, Lord, oh, we'll give all this away. And we've turned here and we've said, we can't get even one person to come into this church. And suddenly the sparrow drops and falls at my feet. Son, do you not know you're worth more than many sparrows? The church grew and it grew. People were saved. Brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you for anything. Don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I never have and I never will. Sometimes the Lord might lay something on you and it's just too much because, well, it's too much for me. It's mine. It's mine. But God is no man's debtor. And sometimes we feel, Lord, we have nothing. But the Lord Jesus said, your father knoweth what things you have need of. And from I get saved, I can honestly tell you, there's been times when we've had very little. Also, and I lived in, we know how to live in a tin of beans and a half a, half a loaf of bread. And I'm serious, nothing else. We cut the tin of beans in half. Well, you know, emptied it in half, that is. <laughs> there's, a few slices of toast, and we lived like that. My family didn't know. Allison's mum and dad didn't know, and then when they did, I got a knock at the door one time. And it was just before we were married, and the door opened, there was a man going, uh, it was way up nine floors up in, the, in my special apartment. And I opened the door, and there's this man with a trolley with this big box on it. Davidson, I says, yes. I go, what's this? I, I got our satay out of a skip. She's laughing at me. I said, yes, Davidson, yes. This is uh, for you. I says, it can't be for me, mate. It must be another Davidson. You've got the wrong one. What is it? A washing machine. I says, definitely not for me. I wouldn't know how to turn a washing machine on. He says, well, it's yours. And he pulled it and he sat it there. And it was actually Eunice had bought it and sent it down to me. But nobody knew. But every step that we took of faith, believing that he knew it all, that he would meet the need, that knowing that he was my father who is intimate with me. He's omniscient. He knows it all. But he's our intimate father. He, he comes and he's intimate with the heart. He's intimate in the life for those who want to be intimate with him. When was the last time you heard the voice of God speak to direct you? Speak to tell you something. Speak to give you a word to somebody which was true, which came to pass. Now I'm not talking about just here, let's go into the prophecy tent here. And there's a woman there with a crystal ball is going to give you all the prophecy. That's a load of nonsense. I don't, I don't hold to that whatsoever. But God does speak. And, and the thing is, it's the intimacy of it. God says to you, you know, why are you worried? I'm with you. Lord, we're struggling. 
We're struggling this week. Won't I meet your need? Won't I meet your need? And your father knows the things you have need of. Alice and I were in, a, in Whitewell one Sunday morning, and I think we had about 18p between us. No, no money in the bank. There's no cards or anything. There. And it was about 18, if it was even 18p between us, we sort of rifled out our pockets. and was coppers. We looked at each other. Just so with those two mates. Put it in the offering. We went home with no dinner to look forward to. I think it was maybe a half a tin of beans. I don't know. No dinner to go home to. And see, by the time we got home, by the time we got in the door, we opened the front the door of the wee flat that we were in. And there was an envelope from a, a, the woman who brought me to church. Actually, the man and woman who brought me to church tonight, I got saved. It was from Margaret and Eddie Anderson. And inside it was 50 quid. Remember that? 50 quid. We were millionaires. I was going to frame it, only I needed to spend it. <laughs> and the door rap, we're only in, the door raps, and there was my brother, who's unsaved, and his then at the time girlfriend, maybe just married, I don't know, bags and bags of shopping, and they just dropped it in our living room, says, we don't know why, but we felt we had to get you that, unsaved, and they walked out again. Stakes and everything, we just that, we had like we were royalty that Sunday, so we had a, and why am I saying that? I, 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 Christ came for the soul. Don't get me wrong. And we know that. And we preach that here. And we believe that here. And that's what's more important. But, but, but there are living and there's life. And we wonder, Lord, are you listening? Do you hear? Do you know? Will you help? And, and sometimes heaven seems to be made of brass. And if heaven seems to be made of brass, this is how I comfort myself with this. Apostle John says when he's seen the vision of the glorified Christ that his feet were like feet of brass. So if the heavens are like brass, I say, Lord, I'm just sitting at your feet until you answer me. Until you answer me. This is so simple this morning and I have to round up. Time is gone. But the Lord knows our thoughts and our worries and our hurts and our stresses and our fears and our downsittings, our upriding, our, our, our depressions and our anxieties. And his mind is towards you, brother, this morning. His mind is towards you, sister. He knows your need and he hears your cry. Listen to Job 34 and verse 28. He heareth the cry of the afflicted. The heart that's struggling, he hears the cry. The heart that's weary, he hears the cry. The heart that's mourning, the heart that's fearful, the heart that's hurting, the heart that's wondering, what am I going to do? He hears the, the cry of the heart of the afflicted. Of course, Jonah says in Jonah 34, pardon me, 34, pardon me, chapter 2 and verse 2, Jonah says, Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest me. Sometimes you feel you're in the belly, as it were, of a living hell. And when you cry from your heart, the affliction of your heart, he hears you. Now, Jonah was in the, the, the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. Do you think he wasn't crying from as soon as he was gummed down and swallowed up? Do you think he wasn't shouting, Lord, help me, help me, and being swallowed by a great fish or a whale, a big animal? Do you think that he wasn't? Of course he was for three days. Help me, Lord, help me, Lord, until the Lord was ready because Jonah was learning something. God speaks to the fish and says, Spew him out of your mouth. You might say it sounds strange. Do you really believe that a whale swallowed Jonah? Yes, I do. And if the Bible says that Jonah swallowed a whale, I'd believe it too. Because it's God's word. Listen to David in Psalm 34 and 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Listen to the Lord Jesus in John 11, verses 41 and 42. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heardest me. 
And I knew that thou heardest me always. Jesus says, I knew you always heard me. He stammered at the graveside of his friend of the past, Lazarus. So brothers and sisters, I must leave you here with this thought. One last verse. Job 28 and 10. His eye seeth every precious thing. His eye seeth every precious thing. The word precious here is the word yachar, and it gives the idea to be heavy. You know, if you get a scale and you put something on the scale, you have to meet it with the same weight. It's the idea of it to be heavy. And how, how, how heavy is your preciousness before God? You ever wonder that? Your Father in heaven, the, one who, the intimate Father, one who is omniscient, knows all, and intimate with you, how heavy are you? in the sense of preciousness before your Father in heaven. Let me tell you how heavy you are. What shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, your soul is so precious that everything this world has, everything this world offers, everything that it puts out as an opportunity to you, whether it be the gold, the silver, the bronze, the, the precious metal and the precious stones, whether it be the oil in the ground or the gas. And, you know, we're, we're, that's what we're hearing about. Men worried and fighting over oil and gas and, and all of those bonds that it holds together. Even, even if we were to accumulate all the elitist wealth, it still couldn't pay for your soul. This word cannot redeem your soul. This world cannot pay for your soul. So if you were to put the soul of the man or woman in the scale and put everything of the world and it's all its riches and its luxuries and its pleasures and even all of its sins and all the things that come with it and say, I'm going to buy that soul and redeem it, it still wouldn't level up to an equality. So how precious and how heavy with worth it is, is your soul. It took God himself to come. Outside interference. To step forth and down into this world. To be manifested as a man. Notice, man a fest. Became a man. Man a fested. And he died on a cross. The only thing that is of value more precious than our soul is the blood of Christ. The precious blood. That's why it's called precious. That's why it's called precious, brothers and sisters. It took the precious blood of Jesus. We hear of precious stones in Scripture. Unto you, therefore, which believe, Peter says, he is precious. Precious son of God. Peter tells us that our faith is precious like gold tried in the fire. So can I ask you this Lord's Day morning? Can I ask you a simple question? Can you see this morning, when you leave here to know that your father knows everything about you, your omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omnibenevolent. He's all love. God is love. Can you, can you leave here knowing he loves me? He loves me. I'm not worth much. Oh, you are. You're worth the blood of Christ. You're worth more than the world can afford. I'm not up to much. Aye, but give yourself to him. Whatever he says, whatever, if he says, look, I want you to give all away and do this, or I want you to, to do whatever it is, do it, brothers and sisters. Obey the voice of the Lord. I can tell you, you'll realize that he's no man's debtor. And you'll realize that your Father in heaven is so intimate with you that he wants you to place your all your everything, whether that be your time, whether that be your finance, whether that be whatever. And I'm not looking for you to put it here before people come online and start calling me a prosperity preacher. I am not. 
have never once preached tithing in here. Never once. And those who have been with me for years, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? But God places on the heart that which you want to give. Don't get me wrong. But this isn't about your money. This is about whatever. This might be your life. This might be your comforts. This might be your, your, what you do with life. This might be your sport. This might be whatever. Hear the voice of God and say, trust me. He says, trust me. Trust me to bring you through. Trust me to meet your need. The more you lay at my feet, it's out of your hands. Praise God. Because when it's out of your hands, it's in his hands. Do you know what he done with the loaves and the fishes? He multiplied them. Do you know what he done for Job at the end of all things? He multiplied his blessings that he had from what he started with. Our God's a God of multiplication. But he's also a God of the second chance if you've failed him. And the third chance if you've let him down. And the fourth chance and the fifth chance. He's a God of the sixth chance and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth and the tenth chance. In fact, he just keeps giving me chance after chance after chance. That's who we serve. That's who we love. That's who we follow. That's who we need. That's who we trust. It's all in Christ. So if you're knowing, you know everything I've gone through. You know everything that I've been through. You know everything, Lord, that's happening and what lies ahead. What was the words of that song, Rebecca, about, though I know not what's before me, I know I can trust your heart. I don't know what tomorrow holds, brothers and sisters. Yes, I'm looking, and we're going to go away, God willing, this week on a holiday. Looking forward to it. Yes, we are. But listen, I might not make that. But I know whatever happens, I know I can trust his heart. And I don't know who, what tomorrow might hold. But one thing for sure is I know who holds tomorrow. God bless you this morning. Take it home with you. And feast on it. Came would you come up please? We'll sing. We'll go home. We'll receive offering from you. Thank you.